Ah, yes. Happy Wednesday here on MLB Morning Coffee, a daily MLB podcast. Appreciate everybody that has tuned in. We were going to do an episode today specifically on Luis Severino, but we have ourselves a special guest, our first of many rotating co-hosts. He is the host of the Phenom to the Farm podcast, as well as Big Screen Sports, which is the best movie podcast out there, sports films, I should say. He's a former colleague of mine at Blue Wire Pods, a former Division II baseball player, and a baseball nut just like myself. Joining us from Texas, it is Kyle Banduho. Kyle, what's going on this morning? How you doing, my friend? Greg, I'm just living in complete awe of your of your on mic persona and voice, man. That was an incredible intro. I'm very humbled. Uh, appreciate the the shout outs to the pod, man. I'm ready to talk some baseball. Absolutely. So you are a Twins fan by nature, and I find that interesting because you I am went since birth. So you went to school in Texas. Are you from Minnesota? No, so um, I grew up in Richmond, Virginia, and my my dad also grew up in Virginia. My dad grew up the son of Cuban immigrants when he was, and and when you live in Virginia, you don't have any in-state sports teams. A lot of people will gravitate to the Orioles and the Redskins, but when he was growing up, the Twins' best player was Tony Oliva, the most prominent Cuban baseball player at the time, so he, uh, he jumped onto the Twins and has been a diehard, and I I inherited that. Uh, I was born the I, I was a couple months old uh, at the date of the Twins' last World Series win, so it, it has been a long time since uh, since I've gotten to taste that same kind of glory that uh, my dad has gotten as a Twins fan. So, but this year, in my opinion, and one of the reasons why I wanted to have you on is to give a Twins preview because of all the guys I know, say forsake the one guy in the bullpen that is a friend of mine, Zach Littell, you're the most uh, foremost Twins expert that I know. And actually, it's funny, I couldn't make it that weekend, but I was actually invited to Littell's wedding in uh, Mabang, North Carolina at the beginning of November. So uh, unfortunately, I'm going to have to wait for my first wedding of a big leaguer that I've attended. But man, the Twins... Last year set the American League record for homers. They get even better by signing somebody like Josh Donaldson. My first question to you is this. How defensively is it going to work with Sano moving over to first base? Donaldson, obviously, a very good defensive third baseman. How do you feel like it's going to work on the defensive side of things? Because we know what the power is going to be for this team. Well, I mean, I think Miguel Sano is kind of slept on as an athlete. Uh, I, if you go back, there was a, I mean, to tie this into movies, I don't know, have you seen the Netflix documentary that featured Miguel Sano when he was 15 in the Dominican Republic before he signed with the Twins? It chronicled his and another prospect's um, journey, and he was a rangy, skinny um, athlete. He, he was a shortstop when he signed. I mean, obviously, he is a bigger dude. Miguel Sano could clean out a buffet. But um, it, if you follow him on Instagram, as I do, he's put in some work this offseason. Um, he has a cannon for an arm, which unfortunately, moving to first base, we, you no longer get to see him absolutely rifle balls over. But, um, I mean, I don't see him being that much of a defensive downgrade versus C.J. Crone, who was playing first base last year. So um, adding Donaldson 
at third is big. The Twins have, I think, one of the best defensive outfields in baseball when Byron Buxton is healthy. He's obviously he's won a uh, he's won a Gold Glove. Um, Max Kepler and Eddie Rosario, very athletic outfielders with good arms. I I mean. I, I, there's a lot to like about this Twins team defensively, and I think uh, I think Sano is going to pick up first just fine. I'm I'm not I'm not too worried. One of the things that I really like about Max Kepler in particular, and I like the fact that you went to him, is that he doesn't hit for a particularly high average. But for a guy that's a good power bat, he doesn't strike out a lot, relatively speaking. Last year, he only struck out 99 times in 524 bats. And you think about it, for a guy that hits 36 homers and drives in over 90 runs, having only a 20% strikeout rate less than that is pretty darn good. Where do you feel like Kepler needs to make his next steps in his development? And is he going to be the linchpin of this lineup around guys like Donaldson and Sonoda to help this team potentially take the next step? And I know that seems hard to believe given all of their offensive prowess from a year ago. Well, I think you'd like, ideally, you'd like to see Kepler kind of keep the power numbers around the same if he can if he can be in that 30 home run mark. And and just just walk more, just be you know the the same kind of table setter. This is a it's a very right-handed heavy lineup. I mean, their two two big boppers are uh, Donaldson and Cruz. They're right-handed. Mitch Garver's right-handed. Sano's right-handed. Um, Buxton gonna be gonna be down towards the bottom of the lineup, but he's right-handed. Uh, the only lefty with pop is really uh, you've got Kepler and Rosario. Rosario is going to be a little farther down the lineup. He's got pop, but he is he's not uh, he's not quite an on base machine. There were a lot of if you uh, if you're active on Twins Twitter during games, a lot of a uh, lot of complaints about the the chasing tendencies of Eddie Rosario. So I think with Kepler, you just kind of like to see him grow as a hitter, um, take more walks, keep the power numbers where they're at. Uh, just, just kind of be a left-handed power presence in a, in a very right-handed leaning lineup. So I want to transition to the pitching next because I think that that's the one thing with the Twins that everybody has been honing in on. It's like, okay, you know, how are they going to make that next step? But before I do that, I want to point to, and I truly believe, and I don't know if you you feel the same way, Kyle, that having a veteran catcher and somebody who has been through the grind, having that guy be a part of your pitching staff is critical for the development of younger pitchers. And that's why I want to talk about Alex Avila. I know that he is obviously going to be the main backup guy after spending a year in Arizona, but what do you think Avila adds in terms of a uh, cohesiveness with the pitching staff? Well, he, he's an alternative to Mitch Garver in that he's a uh, he's also a left-handed bat, but I think... I think your main goal with with Twins backstops is having a guy like Avila be a a mentor to Garver and teach him the tools of the trade. Obviously, Garver got to work with Jason Castro, who's an excellent catcher in his own right, the the past couple years. And I think it's good that you you know surrounding a younger guy like Garver with uh, with veterans like that. And, and same goes with the pitching. I mean, obviously, I, um, you know, if someone I, I pitched in college, you're only as good as the uh, the guy catching you sometimes. So I, I think it can only help. Um, you can't forget that that behind the dish, sometimes we might have El Tortuga, Williams Astudillo. I uh, can't can't forget about him. Uh, but you know, I, I think, um, you obviously weren't gonna, they weren't going to keep Jason Castro. He's, he's a guy who obviously, um, 
is is still a point where he's probably starting catcher in the big leagues. He's going to want to go somewhere where he can play more and and make the kind of money that he'd like to see. And with with Garver, you're not going to pay big bucks to two catchers. Um, so I, I think the uh, the Avila move was w- was positive. It's positive to bring in a veteran like that. The Twins on the pitching staff side of things, in particular the starting rotation, really changed things up. Mainstay Kyle Gibson is gone. He has moved on to Texas. They pick up Homer Bailey, Kenta Maeda, and Rich Hill. So how do you see this rotation shaking out with, obviously, Barrios being the number one guy, Odorizzi your number two, and then I would imagine that you're going to have some combo of Bailey, Dobnik, and uh, Rich Hill as your last three, and then Maeda potentially out of the bullpen? Yeah, I mean, I think I think starting the year, I think you're hoping, obviously, the, the Twins don't have the kind of depth that the Dodgers do, where Maeda started and, and filled a kind of swing role as well in the postseason. I think Maeda, you're hoping to get 150 to 170 quality innings out of him. Richel and Homer Bailey, in my opinion, you're kind of hoping that they combine that their combined performances equal that of a good third to fourth starter. I don't think you can rely on the health of either of them, especially Rich Hill. I think he, he's currently hurt. I don't think he's going to start this. I think he's he's probably going to start the season on the IL. Um, but, but if you, I mean, you, you kind of hope that that combo of guys gets you a good third, fourth starter and anything else is just bonus. Um, Dobnak looked really good coming up last year. Everyone's favorite Uber driver. You've also got, uh, Michael Pineda coming back, uh, when, when he's done with his suspension, he'll probably, I think he's due late May, early June. Um, and he was, he was really good last year, uh, as you know, just big Mike until, uh, until he got popped, which was really unfortunate for the twins playoff hopes, but there's more, there's more rotation depth than the Twins have had in a long time. It was great to see them, you know, bring Oda Rizzi back. A lot of the times, uh, it, just in the past, in the past 20 or so years with the Twins, that's a guy who they probably let walk. They just say, okay, we're going to have to find a, a bargain or bring a prospect up to to fill that spot. And instead, they, you know, they, they kind of decided, hey, we're going to go for it. This is a guy we need to bring back. That was really encouraging. Um, so they, they've got more rotation depth than they have in quite a long time. Um, you know, it's obviously it doesn't look like Houston or the Dodgers or something like that as far as, you know, their their biggest pieces, but there's a lot of good arms on this staff and a, enough to put together a really good regular season and then hopefully turn in some good games in the postseason. We are with Kyle Banduho here on MLB Morning Coffee, the host of From Phenom to the Farm and Big Screen Sports. Kyle, as we sort of transition into the prospect, I have a couple more things on the Twins in particular this year. The White Sox. I don't think anybody in the last five years, and I have a background in Chicago sports. I went to college there. My dad, side of the family are all big White Sox fans dating back to the day, they had one of the best off-seasons I can remember in quite a long time. They signed Yasmani Grandal, they trade for Nomar Mazzara, they pick up Edwin Encarnacion, uh, a couple of other moves that were really solid, bringing back Jose Abreu. What do you feel like is the ceiling for the White Sox in relative comparison to catching the Twins? Like, Is this something this year that the Twins need to be worried about? I think it's a definite worry. I don't think the White Sox are at their peak. The big worry is that this might be 
a one year window where the 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 Twins are clearly I, I I think going into the season the Twins are clearly a step ahead. The White Sox just have a lot of help coming. Um, they signed Luis Robert um, Robert to that deal, so I mean he's there's no reason for him to not be not be in the show from the get go this year. Um, you've got Michael Kopech probably coming back this year from from Tommy John. You've got Andrew Vaughn who will probably be up sooner rather than later. Um, the the White Sox are really young. They're exciting. I mean, they're a good MLB TV watch if you're not a Twins fan and you're not legitimately worried about them. But that's I mean, that's a really exciting team. I like they'll they'll definitely be on my MLB TV um, rotation pretty often. You've got Makata Anderson. Abreu, Eloy, who, I mean, Eloy is still, what, 22, 23 years old, something like that. Um, he's really exciting. So Yeah, he's going to, he's only going to turn, he just turned 23, so he won't be 24 until the end of next November. So he's going to play this whole season as a 23-year-old. And, and I didn't even re- realize this, Nomar Mazzara is only 24. And he's... And it feels like he's been around since the Obama administration. It feels like he's been around forever. Um, and so it's something to where you're kind of wondering if he's ever going to take that step forward uh, because he has been around so long. But again, he's really young. Um, you know, the fact that they have Giolito and Keuchel and Cease in that rotation, I mean, they're, they're definitely a worry. This might not be the White Sox year. I feel like they might be more, at least for my own personal hope, they might be more 2021. But what they do have is they have a very young core that's locked up and is something that's going to be, could be a force in the division for a while. Long term, they're very much a concern. I think I think they're set up just as good at the Twins, if not better, for for the long run. I'm just I'm hoping, and I I really do feel that the Twins are, are set up much better in in 2020. I would tend to agree, just because when you assemble a group of young pieces like this and a pitching staff that has some knowns and some unknowns, and guys like Gio Gonzalez that you're going to have to rely upon for hopefully 175 innings, and I don't know if that's necessarily Gio Gonzalez at this point in his career. I find it funny that years after drafting him, Gio Gonzalez is finally a White Sox after having been traded twice by them in the mid-2000s. So last question on the Twins before we transition into prospect mode, because I know that that is your forte and, and mine as well. Um... And actually, I'll preface that with this. When I was working in the Midwest League in 2016, there were two guys that I got to see that were absolute studs, and I knew these guys are big leaguers. One of them, playing for the South Bend Cubs at the time, was Eloy Jimenez. The other is a part of your Minnesota Twins, Luis Arias. Arias, to me, when I first saw him, I'm like, this guy is such a pure hitter. He goes gap to gap incredibly well. He's got a great baseball sense about him. I know he only played 92 games, but like, what do you see in, in Luis Arias and his future in Minnesota? He's really kind of refreshing in terms of the type of ball player he is because it's really contrary to a lot of what we see now in baseball. And I'm not going to be old man on the hill saying, oh, I'm tired of seeing all the strikeouts and guys just trying to walk and hit home runs. But statistically, that's just what a lot of baseball does now. He's very much a throwback, and he's trying to make contact. He's trying to, you know, he's he's trying to get hits. But it's not as though he's a 
all he, it's not as though he's a Williams Astudio where he is just swinging at everything. He he takes his walks, he gets on base. There's really no thump there. Um, but it, it's it's a good mix and a lineup of guys with some swing and miss. Uh, it's it's a fun piece to have. He's a fun guy to root for. Um, I think you could do a lot worse as your your second baseman. Um, so he's a good table setter. He's someone you can put up at the top of the lineup to to get on base in front of those big bats. It's someone you could have. You know, he he could be batting eighth or ninth, and and same thing, kind of kind of work as a reverse leadoff hitter. And he he's right there. He's on for Kepler and Polanco, Cruz and Donaldson to drive him in. So um, I, I really like him. Uh, I think he it, it's very nice to have a guy who you don't feel like has a has a big chance to strike out in a big moment um, because that that's, you know, that's the drawback that, that you have with some of those sluggers is they'll have a lot of strikeouts in, in big key situations, but they're also hit the ball 5,000 feet, and that's really cool to see. So, um, yeah, I, I like Arise. I like him a lot. Now my last question on the Twins. I keep thinking of different ones as you keep going on because there are so many different possibilities for where this team could go this year. With Severino, Luis Severino, the New York Yankees, out for the season with Tommy John, and with James Paxton gone till at least June, that takes two of the Yankees' big arms and puts them out of commission. That is in my opinion, was what made the Yankees the favorites in the American League over the Twins at this point. With those injuries, do you feel like this is the year that the Twins make that next step and maybe not get to the World Series, but at least make it to the ALCS? I mean, you as a baseball fan, you never like to see good talent go down. Um, I like, I really like watching Severino pitch. I like watching, watching Paxton pitch, obviously not against the Twins, but it does... I mean, you you can't argue that that does give the Twins a real, a, a a much better shot. It puts them in a much better position. I don't know if it necessarily puts them in the driver's seat. Um, the Yankees still have Garrett Cole. Uh, they still have an incredibly powerful lineup. They still have um, some you know some depth that can come up and help them. Uh, Houston is you know they still have Verlander and Grinky in a in a very good young core that can hit. They're obviously going to have to deal with a lot of mental turmoil this year. Um, but it, it definitely makes it more wide open. I mean, I think, uh, you know, I, I really think this might be the year I was talking with uh, Andrew Rotondi from Bronx pinstripes on, uh, my latest big screen sports episode. We did some twins Yankees talk at the end of it. And, you know, I, I almost, you know, I almost went out and begged that for the twins to just win me one postseason game. But I think if, if there's any year that they can make a real run and maybe even get out of the you know, win the ALCS or at least get to it. Um, this is the year. There's already a lot of question marks for the top contenders. Uh, you've seen Cleveland make themselves worse this offseason, getting rid of Corey Kluber. You don't know what's really going on in Boston. They've made themselves worse. They got rid of one of the top three players in baseball, which is just completely just asinine. Um, Houston obviously going to go through some turmoil, and now with these Yankees injuries – I would say that this is as good a chance as the Twins have had in 15 years to make a legitimate postseason run. The last time they were in the ALCS was 2002 against that Angels team that won. Uh, So, I I mean, I'm really optimistic. I think if if there's going to be a year that they can at least win a game in the ALDS, I feel like this is the year. 
I would have to agree with you just because the pieces are there. I feel like they've got the right manager. Uh, I have not heard a single person say anything bad about Rocco Baldelli. I think he's got the ear of the clubhouse. And I I hope for your sake, Kyle, that it ends up being that way because they're a very likable group of guys. And, you know, as a a lifelong Oakland A's fan, I want to see Josh Donaldson win something. Like that, like for me, like I want to see him win something, and I feel like they have as good of an opportunity as anybody this year. So uh, appreciate your insight on the Minnesota Twins. We've got about ten or so minutes left here on MLB Morning Coffee. I want to go into prospects now because you're big on prospects. You host a prospect podcast, and I want to talk about somebody that people feel like is the second coming, and that's Wander Franco. Everything that I read. Everything that I hear says that he is so much better than any other shortstop prospect in baseball, not even now, but over the last five years, that it's not even funny. What is your take on somebody that's an 80-grade hitter, a 60-grade power guy, a 60-grade arm, and overall right now at age 18 is a 70 and has already made it to high A? Do you realize how difficult that is for an international prospect to get to high A by the time he turns 18? I recorded a uh, big screen sports episode about this time last year. Uh, you know, maybe maybe it was like mid March uh, with JJ Cooper, you know, editor in chief in Baseball America. He was he was at spring training, and I asked him, you know, name me, you know, who's the uh, who's the prospect that, or you know, who's who's the player who's jumped out at you uh, at spring training. And he said right away, he said Wander Franco really was is just really impressive. And then he goes and backs it up and tore up the the Florida State League, which is a very pitcher-friendly league in in high A. Um, I don't think it is out of the question, especially if the Rays are in contention, which it it looks like they have a a shot to be, that he's in in the show by August, maybe even July. You never – I mean, if if he starts out in double A and he's hitting – 330 he's getting on base he's showing power and the rays find a place for him to play which with a bat like that you usually do it might it might not be shortstop in tampa bay but you can move him over to to third he's got a 50 grade arm um you know you could even maybe move him over to second uh it's it's not implausible that we get wander franco in the show this year which i think would be very good for baseball fans and very pro teams getting getting their top prospects in the bigs when they're ready and not when they think it, it's best for them as far as service time goes and how long they get to keep them under contract. So with, with the Rays potentially contending, and if, if Franco does the same thing he did in, in the Florida State League in AA and even AAA, I, I think it'd be – I honestly think it'd be great for baseball if we saw him – if we saw another 19-year-old guy a la Juan Soto – uh, make a make a big time thump in the show this year, and I think for somebody like him, if like you said, if he's showing the tools to be able to compete at certain levels, why do you keep a guy there? I think that Tampa Bay's an organization that they know they're not going to be able to go out and sign a bunch of talent, so might as well use the talent you have. Forget about whatever service time clock you may be starting, and just have him get up there. So I want to transition next to a guy that I feel like has been on these lists for years. He's MLB Pipeline's number two, and he's going to play a pretty big role in the majors this year, and that's Gavin Lux. What do you like most about somebody like Gavin Lux, who's got plus power 
and is a pretty good defensive infielder. I mean, it's the Dodgers. It's just the rich getting richer. Um, and maybe that's that's some karma from a potentially robbed World Series, depending on how you, you view that whole situation. But the fact that the Dodgers have both Lux and Dustin May and seemingly an, an incredible ability to – an unmatched ability to spend money maybe only by the Yankees and have added Mookie Betts, it's – it's just a, a wealth of talent over there in LA. And the the thing with the thing that's kind of interesting with Lux is what do the Dodgers end up doing with Corey Seeger? They've kind of got a jammed up infield there. They've got Lux, Muncie, Seeger. Um, Seeger's obviously been a very I think he's one of the tallest, if not the tallest shortstop in the majors. How does that go as he continues to age, as he gets closer to to thirty than twenty? Um, but but either way, it's it's really exciting. It's it's again the same thing we were saying with if the Rays bring up Franco. It's really exciting that the Dodgers said, "Hey, this we've got a, a clubhouse full of talent and veterans, and this shortstop is talent tearing up AAA gives us the best chance to win in the postseason." Um, and and they you know they brought him in down the stretch. I I think he's I think he's really exciting. Um, and it's, it's good to, it's good for baseball to have stars in LA, um, you know, remiss to say how MLB chooses to market those stars, you know, good on them for putting a video of Tim Tebow on, on their Twitter yesterday, which, which I, I had some thoughts about. Yeah. MLB in that regard just keeps putting their foot in their mouth because you have all of this young talent that's coming up and that's the guy that you want to market. No wonder, in my opinion, that baseball is having some of the problems that they are right now. By all accounts, Tim Tebow is an incredible human being, had an incredible career at Florida. I mean, do, do not get me wrong. I don't, I don't fault him for wanting to, to try to do what he's doing. But MLB propping up this farce. His OPS, I tweeted about this yesterday. His OPS in AAA last year in the most juiced offensive environment in professional baseball and in the last decade, in the PCL, was his OPS was lower, or no, excuse me, his slugging percentage, I assume his OPS too, was lower than Jacob deGrom's, the, the Mets' top pitcher in the big leagues. It's just, it, it's it's inexcusable, really. I mean, at this point, I, I, I don't mind when, um, you know, when Russell Wilson shows up at the Rangers or Yankees camp or even back in the day when Billy Crystal would come and take an at-bat. Like, that's funny. It's kind of cool. And Russell Wilson was a much better baseball player than Tim Tebow was. But for MLB to prop this guy up when a guy we, we, we talked about earlier, Luis Robert, had a, had a triple watching that big guy flying around the bases on the same day and instead MLB's, you know, propping up a Tim Tebow home run. It's it's really disappointing for a sport that is struggling that is struggling to maintain national vis- visibility. It's becoming much more regional, and it, it'd be much better for them to be propping up what guys like Gavin Lux or Wander Franco, the the young talent that they have coming up uh, in, in spring training. Especially one of the one of the beauties about spring training is you get to see all these prospects who might you know in in a couple of weeks might be down in minor league camp and. And in April, you know, playing in the PCL or in the Texas League or something, you you get a chance to see them on TV against big league competition. The Cardinals threw um, Matthew Levator the other day. Like, that's awesome. Show more of that. Show us the exciting stuff we have coming up and not the, the 2007 Heisman Trophy winner. I don't care about His that. His curveball, by the way, Levator, oh, my goodness. 
Watching him Filth. in that in that spring Filth. training game, just watching that thing bend. Oh my goodness, that was a thing of beauty. All right, final question for Kyle Banduho here on MLB Morning Coffee. So, the 2018 draft saw two guys taken in the first two picks that were high-level college players and that people thought were going to get to the big leagues pretty quickly. That's Casey Mize, the former Auburn righty who was taken by the Tigers, made it all the way up to double-A last year, and Joey Bart, the catcher from the Giants, who made it up to double-A last year as well. Mize's numbers were fantastic last season. At double-A, he had a 320 ERA over the course of, I believe, about 12 starts, and Joey Bart, combined between high-A and double-A, hit 278 with 16 homers and 48 driven in. Which one of these guys do you feel like makes the show first, given the fact that they both play for teams that have no chance of competing this year? I think health-dependent, just assuming that both get through the season healthy, I think Mize is most deserving of getting there. Casey Mize, for all intents and purposes, is probably ready. Um, Especially, there's not five better pitchers, even though the Tigers do have quite the set of young pitchers with uh, with Mize and Manning and uh, Trick Scooball, but Mize is very ready, uh, it, it, as close as you can be. Obviously, the only really hang-up with him is, is health. He got shut down for, I, I believe, a shoulder thing. Maybe it was an elbow thing. He got, he got shut down for a bit, came back, wasn't quite his usual self after. Um, but if he's healthy... You know, again, it comes into that thing of of service time. The Tigers aren't going to be competing. Are they really going to want to, you know, bring him up? But that's the same thing with Bart and the Giants. The Giants are likely not going to be competing. The thing with Bart also is he has an icon somewhat blocking him in San Francisco. You can always move Posey to first. Um, But with Bart, I think there's a little more question of readiness. It's, you know, how much is he going to be able to tap into that power and be able to hit, he might realistically need another year in the minors um, before he gets up. Maybe, maybe it's in September. But I think, as far as you know, you take you you push the circumstances aside. You you accept that that you know you acknowledge that that health is a factor in some way. But in terms of readiness, I think it's Mize. I, I would I would bet on um, I would I would bet my money on Mize making it to the show first should he stay healthy. Final question, actually, for you here now. because I keep teasing a yes, final sir. question, but I keep thinking of more stuff because I just... I, hey, I could talk about this stuff all yeah, day. Yeah, I, I could too, but we both have things to do, and we want to make sure that the listeners get their morning coffee. Are you a coffee guy, by the way, Kyle? Literally just uh, just finished my last swig of... Uh, of say, as soon as we get off recording, I'm going to go gonna go refill for... For number two, I am actually nothing but coffee until noon. Oh, I love it! I love it. You, you and I, you and I. See, I knew we would get along well, and this is this is why. So now, my final question for you: Of last year's draftees, who do you feel like has the highest ceiling? And the reason I say highest ceiling is that we know that somebody like Adley Rutschman is going to be really good. We know the tools of a Bobby Witt Jr. We know already the prestigious power that Andrew Vaughn has. Who, in your opinion, from what you've seen and what you've watched, has the chance to have the highest ceiling or maybe like the most unexpected star of the group from last year's draft? So unexpected star. Because I would say that if he hits, if he hits all his marks... 
and he, he hits his ceiling, I, I would really say it's Rutschman because it's it's a switch hitter. I mean, he's probably a top five pick if he plays first base, but you combine that with being a catcher. Now catching catching will knock your offense. Um it's just it's just a physical toll. Catchers play less. It it's kind of a thing. But I think if Rutschman is a catcher who hits three hundred with thirty home runs and provides plus defense, I mean that's a star. That's a top five player in um in baseball. I I mean I'd love to say twins number 13 overall pick Keone Cavaco, but that that's about the opposite of how his uh his pro debut went. That's kind of uh you know, so so I can't say him. I mean, I I lean Rutschman. Obviously, Witt has a much longer way to go, but a, a shortstop who plays plus defense and hits is is always a star. Um, C.J. Abrams had a great debut for the Padres. Uh, I think um, you know if if maybe you want to you want to bet on someone who can steal bases and hit three hundred and and if he sticks at shortstop, I mean that that's a really exciting package. Um, as far as an arm, I was lucky to watch Nick, Nick Lodolo pitch a few times in college. Uh, my my fiance is a is a TCU alum. Lodolo actually threw the game uh, at the Houston College Classic right before we got engaged. He was dominating. Um, so so as an arm, I, I I like Lodolo. I'm not sure he has the highest highest ceiling, but uh, yeah, I, I'm just very partial to the guy. But as far as ceiling from last year's draft, I think I think it's the guy who went one one, Rutschman. It's an, you know sometimes the the number one pick might be a, a safer guy, but I think Rutschman's both that that fun mix of safe with ceiling. We had two series. I worked for a Royals affiliate last year in the Rookie Pioneer League. We had two series in the span of about eight days against the Reds affiliate in the league, the Billings Mustangs. We missed Lodolo twice. It didn't matter, though, because he only threw one inning. He made six starts in rookie ball. He threw one inning. They sent him up to low A. He went two starts. He threw seven innings, and then they shut him down for the year. But at least from what everybody on that staff told me, that he's going to have a chance to be something special. And it seems like your eyes have, have made that determination as well. He's a guy who's probably going to fly through the system. Oh, absolutely! Think. And give. And I, I think he'll. I think he'll be up sooner, sooner rather than later. That seems, especially if the Reds try to make a run at. Yeah, him. and I think that he he might have the potential to be one of those Chris Sale type of guys that just flies through the system and ends up in the bullpen. Actually, a guy that they have now that didn't come up through their system, Brandon Finnegan, was somebody that the Royals did that with back in 2015. I could see the same thing for Lodolo this coming season. Kyle Banduho, thank you so much for joining me. Please let the listeners know how they can listen to your podcasts and how they can follow you on social media. Well, you can get all my my podcast information on my personal Twitter. That's at Kyle Banduho, B-A-N-D-U-J-O. You can catch From Phenom to the Farm, presented by Baseball America, every other Tuesday. Uh, we dropped an episode, I believe, yesterday uh, when this when this show is airing uh, with former Nationals prospect J.P. Ramirez. We dropped the first episode with former Braves left-hander Eric O'Flaherty. Um, we're just talking to, uh, right now the series purpose is talking to guys who signed out of high school, experience being an 18-year-old professional, journey through the minor leagues, um, getting a lot of different perspectives and, and stories. It's been a fun process, have some great stuff coming up. Uh, for big screen sports, if you are a sports movie fan, appreciate some authenticity, some realism in sports movies, uh, you can check that out every Monday via Blue Wire Pods. 
Uh, you can follow follow Big Screen Sports on Twitter at Big underscore Screen Sport for you know just sports movie content and general episode information. I believe next week uh, we are covering the honestly terrible Celtic Pride, a, a surprisingly terrible movie considering all who were involved. But uh, we're we're breaking that down next Monday. Um, did a Feel the Dreams episode recently with Brian Gill from Mad About Movies that I thought went over great. So uh, go check that out. Let me know what you think. Absolutely. And I'm sure that anybody that loves Field of Dreams is going to check that podcast out. He is Kyle Van Nuho. I am Greg Mraz. Thank you so much for listening to this episode of MLB Morning Coffee. Please leave a rating, write a review, subscribe, and we'll catch you in the AM.